Hey, you made it. I'm, here. I'm so sorry about last time. I tried to do too much on one day and it got me. It's okay. <laughs> Things happen. Yeah. So what's been going on? Just rocking and rolling, getting used to a totally new world. So it, it's been fun. Um, so, but I'm learning a lot and trying to do a bunch of new things. So you look like you're in something very fancy. Why do you say that? <laughs> There's just curtains. It looks like a stage or something. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, nah, this isn't a stage. <laughs> it looks like a, a stage of a theater or something. No, I need to go get a, never mind. Um, <laughs> um, so let's get to it. Um, yeah. How do you feel about kids going back to school during this pandemic? Oh man, starting if, off. If you feel like answering that, you can skip it if you want. <laughs> um, so I, I don't have any kids, so I have not had to make the decision that a lot of parents are dealing with. I think, I, I don't know how parents have made it work in any of the scenarios. The fact that people were trying to work, work from home and homeschooling some at the same time was just unbelievable uh and making it work so i have so much admiration for parents that are doing that so whether they're back at school or still homeschooling either way i'm just totally impressed by people that are able to make that happen i i i, I can't imagine so i don't know what opinion i have about it i'm just impressed hmm. i would agree also <laughs> it's yeah. a pretty um Oh, that's pretty insane to me. What's going on now? Like, it's so it's, I guess it's just different. I would say. Yeah, I know a lot of folks who are doing the virtual school, um, but plenty that are going back to school too. And I haven't heard of. I ha honestly, I haven't been keeping that close to the eye on how cases have been affected. But it seems like all the schools that are reopening are are doing a lot of precautions. So they're they're being as careful as they can, and it seems to be working for the most part. Mm. I know my mom's, um, she's a teacher, right? 
and she was I'll telling you. me. <laughs> you know what's yeah, she was telling me how their um school system is operating, and basically, she, only time well they're basically doing virtual, but like kids are coming in for take tests though. Like they come to the school to take a test. I guess like, that makes oh. sense. I don't know. This is crazy to me. Yeah, I now that I think about it, I guess I, I forget that this is also school. Um, but I taught, I, I guess lectured for a class, a, a business class for at UAB last week, and I zoomed in, so I was here, and the instructor was in class, and they had about maybe you know half of the class full with everyone spread out, and half of the class was virtual online on Zoom like me. So. I've never seen anything like it before, but it was interesting. It worked well. Uh, and yeah, I, it, they seem to have it figured out. I, again, respect to those teachers because they've got the Zoom figured out. They've got the audio piping in so that I can guest lecture. It was interesting. Are you thinking about becoming a professor? No, I know. I, uh, that path was not for me. I've, I've taught some in uh, when I was in grad school. and uh it's I, I don't mind doing you know a, a adjunct class here or there or a guest lecture but i like to be rocking and rolling out doing a different thing every day and teaching takes a lot of discipline and a lot of preparing and um especially people who are teaching a full load that is just a lot a lot of very intense work and i like to do very intense work that's different every day and not kind of that very prepared, rigid schedule type stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Um, where did you grow up, if you don't mind me asking that? I'm from the Birmingham area. So I, I grew up in Gardendale, just north of town. So I went to Gardendale High School and uh, went off to University of North Alabama for a little bit, but came back because I missed Birmingham. Mm, okay. Awesome. Um, do you, would you say that Pub did you go to a public school, by the way? Yeah. Or no? yeah. You did? Okay. Would you say that public schools teach you what you need? Like, I've been asking everybody this, like, as far as taxes and entrepreneurship, that type of thing, when it comes um, to students? That's a great question. I, so every, every institution I've been to from kindergarten to graduate school has been a public institution. And I felt like I got a really good preparation for the most part at public schools. I think across the board, schools in general don't teach a lot of real world applicable information. So I don't think, and I mean, from everything, including a PhD, I never really got like how to manage a team or how to like balance a budget or any of those sort of things, which I use now every day and those are all things i had to learn on the job how to you know like manage my tasks those are all just things that you kind of had to learn on your own and i wish schools taught more of that and some do i've heard of a handful that do but for the most part it's not built in as part of curriculum <laughs> especially around entrepreneurship that's nothing i ever learned about hmm. okay hmm. um were you always good at school yeah, I mean, school is like one of my strengths. I'm good at <laughs> taking tests and uh, pretending like I know what I'm talking about, I guess. Um, so that's that's how I ended up with a PhD is because I went to college and got out and I didn't know what I was doing and no one, you know, told me that I should have picked a major that was actually useful. Um, so I just majored in something 
that was very valuable in the long run sociology but there weren't a lot of people looking for a sociologist to hire right out of college so that's i was like well i'm good at school i'll keep doing that and so i went back and and that's i just kept going so it was it was one of the things i was good at so kept kept doing it okay um so you got your sociology degree was that for your bachelor's yeah uh so my undergrad was in sociology and then i did my PhD in sociology at UAB, the program specifically medical sociology. So um, my PhD is technically medical sociology. So you skipped the master's? I, I heard, heard you can do that. So. <laughs> so each program is different. Ours was kind of unique. So most of the time, th there's a number of PhD programs that you go into and you get, you don't do a master's, you just do the PhD. Ours was kind of set up like that but you still had to do a former a formal master's along the way do a master's thesis and defend it so i actually got a master's along the way in sociology but for my program for instance you can't apply to just get a master's it's they only accept candidates for the phd program and you just have to do a master's along the way hmm. okay um now i became aware of you when i went to um innovate birmingham um what was like your association with Innovate Birmingham? So that has evolved. Uh, I first learned about Innovate Birmingham when I was in grad school at UAB. I was doing, uh, I guess, probably halfway through the program, I realized the whole academic route and being a professor was not something that I wanted to do full time. So I started volunteering across campus and got involved and did a bunch of different stuff with um, different committees around campus. And at the time, UAB was going through a strategic planning, like redoing their strategic plan, and I was able to serve as a student representative on that committee. And in one of those meetings, I heard about Innovate Birmingham, which at, at the time, UAB had just been awarded a grant to launch. And when I heard about uh, from Josh Carpenter, who was the initial person launching it, that we're starting this program that's going to be connecting folks with skills in IT that we really need, you know, more talent for, and it's going to provide, you know, all these different resources. I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. Uh, that sounds really fun. So I started working in a volunteer capacity at first, uh, working on the research side. So as part of the, the program, uh, we wanted to evaluate, you know, who was applying for this program, and once they get in, how is it affecting their opportunity for jobs, and how they grow in their jobs and things like that. So I worked as a, a volunteer on the research side for a couple months and then a position came open with uh, operations. So it was really managing kind of the day-to-day, -day, supporting the team, scheduling, logistics, all that sort of, you know, kind of grunt stuff. Uh, I did that for a couple months and that position kind of evolved um, into leading the operations. And then about a year later, I took over as the executive director. So it was kind of managing all things from the boot camp pieces, the partnerships with uh, other organizations, nonprofits, and workforce development partners and employer partners. So working really closely with the employers in the region to understand what they needed in terms of talent so we could identify the right programs to meet that need. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, what are the requirements to get into Innovate Birmingham? Great question. So it's that's evolved a little since we've been there as well. Uh, I'll tell you what it is now because it's expanded some over the last year, year and a half. So 
uh, Innovate Birmingham is designed to connect people with skills for these in-demand jobs. I'm sorry about my dog. Stop. What's that dog in there, by the way? This is Pinky. She, they're both mutts, but she's like a pit mix. And the black one is Koei, and he's like a lab mix. Come here, Pinky. She's being grumpy. Um, it's She's getting the time of day where she starts getting restless, and she's going to start barking at me. But <laughs> uh, so Innovate Birmingham is focused on uh, training adults for in-demand careers. Oh, she's saying hi now. Uh, so it's folks who are out of high school, so 17 and older, and completed high school or have a GED. And our geographic area that Innovate Birmingham serves is central Alabama. So that's the central six counties, which is, let's see if I can remember them, Jefferson County, Walker, St. Clair, Shelby, Want, Chilton. So if you live in one of those counties and uh, are un or underemployed, so that's kind of loosely defined, but you're either not working full-time or you're in a job that doesn't have a lot of opportunity for growth. And so you're really looking to make that transition into the high demand field of tech. Uh, you can apply for Innovate Birmingham, both the fast track training programs, as well as there's some scholarship opportunities at UAB, as well as Jefferson State and Lawson State Community Colleges. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. Um, now I hear that you're with Bronx Valley, is that correct? Yes. Now, what is Bronx Valley? What is that exactly? Good question. So, uh, and this is another one of those weird kind of mixes of, I'm a little, doing a little of this, a little of that, kind of working for this, kind of working for that. So technically my position now sits with Generator, which is a national uh, organization, but I'll get to that. So Bronze Valley launched in, a few years ago, around the same time Innovate Birmingham did actually. And I remember hearing about them when they first launched and they did this uh, big invitation only conference. And they, Bronze Valley is focused on growing the ecosystem of entrepreneurs and founders, specifically supporting underrepresented founders. So that's people of color, women, and otherwise folks that may not have the same opportunity and really attention when it comes to entrepreneurship in our ecosystem. So Bronze Valley is focused on investing in companies founded by women and people of color and have been doing that for the last couple of years. That has been what they focused on and, and done it pretty consistently without making a, a ton of splash and drawing a lot of attention, but gr have grown that portfolio to um, about 10 companies that are, are companies that they've invested in. So some that you'll probably hear about if you're in the Birmingham tech ecosystem, like Fledging, who has actually came out of UAB as well, um, Mixtros, what is fledging, by the way? Like, what do they do? Do you know? Oh, you're gonna make me. You're gonna make me have to answer a question. I don't know. Essentially, they 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 are a hardware startup. I believe. Do not quote me on this. I believe they have like hardware extensions for Mac products. So it would be like an external hard drive or different ways to make your computer more powerful or be able to do different things. So they're making like a physical product. Okay. Yeah, uh, I need to learn the elevator pitch on them since they are in our portfolio, but um, they're one of the companies that Bronze Valley invested in, Mixtros, Babypalooza, um, Smart Alto, a, a number of those companies you may have heard about in the area um, are in the Bronze Valley portfolio. 
So Bronze, <coughs> excuse me, Bronze Valley's been doing that the last couple of years as a nonprofit venture capital firm. So uh, really have raised this round of funding uh, and then invest that into these companies and continue to look for opportunities to do that. Earlier, I guess it was really at the end of last year, they partnered with Generator, which is a national uh, accelerator platform to bring the Bronze Valley Accelerator to Birmingham. So this is a way that we'll be able to continue to serve more founders that meet the criteria that we're trying to support, uh, but that might not be the right fit or the right stage for the investment of Bronze Valley. So what the Bronze Valley Accelerator is, is a part-time pre-accelerator program that will admit five companies uh, each cohort. And we keep that intentionally small so that we can really provide them that one-on-one -on -one support and connect them with the right resources that they need. And over seven weeks, they'll have the opportunity to learn from mentors and industry experts, both throughout our region in the Southeast, but also the whole network of partners that Generator brings to the table. And then that'll all culminate in the seventh week with an investor pitch week, where we will get our local investment uh, ecosystem together to hear pitches from these companies and hopefully start some conversations around investment for these companies as well as, <clears throat> as, well as opportunities for the companies to pitch to full-time accelerators. So like Velocity and Techstars are some of the full-time accelerators here in the community that if someone gets into them, they also get investment as part of that opportunity. So uh, we're hopefully creating a pipeline for our companies to enter those type of opportunities. You said tech stars, and what was the other one? <clears throat> Velocity. Velocity's in Innovation Depot. It's one of their programs. And then um, tech stars is brand new. They just started their first cohort last week or the week before, very recently. And they are a um, program launched by Alabama Power, specifically focused on companies in the energy tech space. So um, energy and utility type technology. Okay, that's awesome. Um... What are the requirements? Like, if I say if there was a company over here that wanted to get into the Bronx Valley, like, what are the requirements they need to get in? To yeah, we are really serving a wide range of folks. We don't have an industry focus. We're like TechStars is focused in energy. We don't have an, uh, an industry focus, but are really just looking for those companies that are at the right nexus where they're about to grow and scale. So as a venture firm, we're looking at those opportunities where someone's early on and with the right investment, they can grow and, and advance really quickly. So we typically look for companies that are earlier stage than uh, what a full-time accelerator would look for, but we can really take a broad range. What we like to see, the really critical piece across the board is interest in growing and scaling. So that may be from one office to growing across the country, or what it often is, is a technology or tech-enabled tool that can really grow exponentially. Uh, so when you think about these companies that have made these enormous uh, opportunities of growth and have exited and been sold, they were enabled by some sort of technology to grow quickly. So that's the type of thing we're looking for. That could be education technology or healthcare or, you know, 
social media, it really could be anything. Uh, but we want someone that's early on but has some traction and has either talked to potential customers and gotten feedback about, is this something that there's demand for? Would you use this? Or may already have existing paying customers. So what we're really looking for is some of that customer feedback in one way or another and having some type of product that they're using to get feedback on, whether that be just surveys or actually having the usable product. Okay. <clears throat> all right. So what do you think when you hear the word automation? Like, does it actually scare you at all? Like, <laughs> how does it, how do you feel about it? Personally, I don't, I don't feel really strongly one way or another. I think one of the opportunities in the tech field, I think a lot of people think about automation and they think, you know, maybe they don't, but the, the stereotype out there is that, you know, robots are coming for my job. And while that there are a lot of things being automated that humans are doing right now, that has been something that has happened in every generation, whether that be, you know, you're plowing the field and then there's the new tractor that is doing that job. It still requires a person to run the technology. And with each stage of those new innovations, we need talented people that understand the technology to use it and make sure it's doing what we need it to do and we're getting the best out of it. So while there, it is definitely absolutely disruptive and it's causing people to have to do different jobs for sure, the opportunity there is when we have things like Innovate Birmingham and other programs that can connect people with those skills and knowledge about the industry, then there's more opportunity there for people to continue to be engaged and be more efficient and work in honestly more, more high demand and high wage careers when they can connect to working with technology that is doing the job that they did before. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, for instance, with uh, perhaps retail, um, someone that may have been working a register before and now have technology that is conducting those transactions. And if someone with that industry expertise, they know the retail world, they know how to work with customers and what that is working with, if they can use that knowledge and expertise they bring from the field, to help improve the customer experience with the technology that's now doing that. They're still bringing what they have to the table, but they're being removed from some of the day-to-day -day repetitiveness of that work and hopefully having the opportunity to really engage in more creative work that will be more sustainable for them for the rest of their career. Okay, okay. Um, have you heard about robot dogs? Or have you seen them at all? Um, I mean, only the, like, YouTube videos where someone's showing this new thing that they're testing. I don't know if there's any, like, in production and people are actually using them. Um, I've just seen kind of the research side of it. Yeah, um, I know law enforcement has them. Uh, well, I don't know if all law enforcement, but some of them have them. Um, and I've also seen, I've seen something that said it costs $75,000. I've seen it somewhere. I don't know how actually true it is but <laughs> they got to get that price down if they um anyway moving on <laughs> i just don't know why like 
I can see if law enforcement is using robots to like check like what they might use a dog for, which would be, you know, identify drugs or approaching someone that it, or a suspicious package or something that wouldn't be safe for a human to approach. I don't see why someone that wasn't like using a work dog would want a robot dog. I don't get the purpose. I like my flesh and blood dog. Yeah. I actually want me a dog. I still ain't got one. Huh? I was going to say you can't snuggle a robot dog, but I guess they could make it like a teddy bear and it would be snuggly, but I'd just rather have a real one. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> um, let's see. I've talked to people about Elon Musk before, right? And I always ask everybody this because he says he's been talking about going to Mars. Do you think humans will be able to go to Mars in, in our lifetime? I mean, it sure seems like they're making some progress and just thinking right now, it seems like, well, I don't know, maybe not in my lifetime, but when you think about the technological advances that happen in such a short time, and I guess thinking if you ask someone in 1950, if you thought humans would go to the moon in their lifetime, they'd probably be like, no way. And it happened in two decades from them and we did not have the technology then to do that you know and now we have a lot of that technology we have way more complex insane technology and we you know have already been to the moon and sent you know different um rovers or whatever they're called to mars so it definitely seems in the realm of possibility and i know they're they're working on it so i bet we will see it um definitely in our lifetime it's another one of those things and I'm just like, what are we doing though? I, I don't want to, I don't have, I have no interest in leaving earth. I know some people <laughs> are really excited about it though. Um, I hope we don't need to in my lifetime because I, I don't want to be going to no other planets. Do you believe in climate change? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the research is pretty clear that there's a lot of things happening uh, that are changing our climate and uh, causing a lot of these once in a lifetime hurricanes and fires and floods. Uh, it seems like every year now. I agree, I agree. Um, I was talking to my cousin, she stays in California and we were talking about all the fires that's going on and like in Northern California, you know, the sky's like red. So it's like, wow, like it's crazy how many fires they're catching right now. Yeah, I, a lot of my family is either in California or um, Washington State and they send me pictures all the time and it just looks like they put the sepia tone on their photo because it's so smoky or the sky is red like you're saying and I have a little Marco Polo group with my cousins and aunts and um, someone sent a video this morning that said their neighbor went for a run. I think this was my cousin that's in uh, near Seattle. She said her neighbor went for a run and then got sick and his doctor told him that going for a run with it as smoky as it was out there uh, was like smoking 30 packs of cigarettes. So it's just like, it's not safe to be indoors uh, because of coronavirus. It's not safe to be outdoors because of the smoke for them. And I forget, cause here in Birmingham, I mean, it's beautiful today, blue sky. And so thinking, oh man, they can't even go outside cause it's so smoky. It's really sad. Yeah, that is. Um... Mm. Okay, so 
do you have any thoughts on Elon Musk's Neuralink? Honestly, I don't know a whole lot about it. I looked it up recently. Um, and again, it's like one of the, it's really interesting, but I don't know if I want, I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a time where like it's so common that everyone's using it, but it just, it's so cutting edge and, and new and innovative, but I'm, I'm not the first one jumping at those opportunities to do that. Just like, I don't want to go to Mars. Other people can, I'm fine right here. Um, <laughs> It seems like it would have a ton of, there could be so many interesting things it could be used for mm. to improve, you know, people that may have hearing impairment or uh, difficulty with vision or something like that. There could be all these ways to, like, in, I saw a um, little demo he was doing and how it was interpreting, like, visual stimulus and reporting it to the brain. I wonder what I get hesitant about, maybe not hesitant is the right word, but the concerns I have with when this, these new type of technologies come out, specifically when it's something that can be so game-changing like that related to health, is who is going to have access to it and what inequality is that going to exacerbate? Because if it is something that can be game-changing for someone with you know, hearing impairment, or if this is like implanted in our brain, what kind of like, how smart is it going to be able to make people essentially, you know, like if it can make you like Superman and how quickly you can compute information or things like that, but only people who can afford, you know, a $200,000 technology can benefit from it. It's, it's just create exacerbating the issues that we have of not everyone having access to these type of tools. And so that's that's one of the concerns I have about it. Um, and the other being, I would imagine it would be collecting a ton of data on how people's brains are working. And again, like what security is around that data. Um, so the like very tiny bit that I know about it, which isn't much, those are just the immediate things that I think about and wonder how, what type of safeguards will be put in place as it grows and people start using it so that it doesn't cause these issues or potential for huge security problems. That is something I haven't even thought about. Um, okay. That yeah. is a, my medical sociology background there, uh, <laughs> thinking about the access and, and equity pieces with all these technologies. So uh, I think that's that's something that I, it, learning from that background in sociology and um, there's a theory uh, around, it's called uh, social determinants of health or fundamental causes of health inequity. And it's essentially saying, you know, when all, all access to all these things comes down to who can afford it, what does that mean for what it actually has the opportunity to do for people's health if it's only for those who have the most, you know, resources to access it. So those those are the type of things that I think sociologists think about and you know some people that work in the health equity space think about or just equity in general but um it it i think it's hard for people like me with those considerations to reconcile with these like super innovative people like elon musk they're always just like what can we do and then there's the people like the way i think they're like well 
what do we need to do and how do we need to protect it and protect the people that would be using it and we all got to work together because we need all those innovative you know yeah yeah people pushing the envelope but um need to be thinking about what's going to happen and with all of it too <laughs> okay okay last question do you think birmingham can become the new silicon valley think it's a possibility or better um, i guess i would ask what does it mean to be the new silicon valley because i think it seems like every second tier city is trying to be the new silicon valley or the new whatever and we don't always think about what is what is our definition of that and what do we what about silicon valley are we trying to be i i think there's a lot of aspects of silicon valley that maybe we don't want to be maybe we don't want to have you know uh unaffordable rent and people having to move an hour outside of town or two hours because they can't afford to live anywhere near where they work um a, a ton of different things i think what we can be and are on our way to be is a really dynamic and innovative Birmingham and I know you probably hear this a lot people talk about this with Birmingham a lot it's like let's not try to be we we could be like Atlanta we could be Nashville we could be the next Silicon Valley or the Silicon Valley of the South but what does it mean to be the best Birmingham and to bring unique strengths of Birmingham that none of those other places have um i think that's our challenge because even if we had all the same companies and jobs and investment and vc in birmingham we're still not going to be silicon valley because we're not silicon valley and so what do we need and what do we want to be the best birmingham and what do we have that they don't have because that's our real unique position that i think we can leverage and i think that's that's something that a lot of organizations are working on and a lot of companies and individual people are, have been really pushing to, toward in the time that I've been involved in this type of work. And, and I feel like we're well on our way to, to being the best Birmingham. Okay, great answer. Um, that's all I have for you today. Um, thank you for joining the outlet. Thank you. I look forward to hearing this and all the future episodes that you have to go. So thank you for what you're doing to connect more people to all the work that we have going on here to be that better Birmingham. Uh, thank you also. All right. Well, next time. See you. Thanks. Bye -bye. See you, Mark.